Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. This week on Silicon Valley Insider, we're having a spit of a change. Instead of having a guest, we are going to be interviewing Keith Koo on the background of his show and what the changes occurred, how it has evolved, and what the next steps are. So the guest this week is Keith Koo. First up on this week's tech news is that a viral app that's been out for a couple of years called FaceApp. There's a lot of controversy on it right now. Over 150 million users have used it, and it's such a big deal. I will talk more about it in the Cyber Tip of the Week in a couple of segments. In addition, Elon Musk just announced in one of his startups called Neuralink that he wants to merge human brains with artificial intelligence using a brain implant. And just one of the hypotheses is that by using a brain hack, it will help humans learn things faster. Uh, one of the use cases was using a link in order to acquire data at 10 times the rate of a normal human brain. Facebook has just announced that they have a superhuman poker player that can beat humans on a regular basis. So following this up to many years ago, uh, Big Blue from IBM being able to beat the best chess champions, and now Google announcing that their chess program can even think of strategies that have never even been seen before. We call that predictive analytics. We now have Facebook with their superhuman poker player. And the final news of the week is Facebook Libra. I talked about it about three weeks ago on our show, and this is Facebook's announcement that they're entering the cryptocurrency market. It has really gotten the world up in arms, and especially the United States government. There have been Senate hearings this week with the head of Facebook Libra being on Capitol Hill and being questioned about a lot of the architecture, why it's being implemented. So some of the highlights is that Libra is actually going to be uh, managed out of Switzerland because that's where the Bank of International Settlements exists and other international entities. Um, a lot of the things that people were concerned about, especially in the United States, is why would you put this outside? The last tech news story for this week is an update on Facebook Libra. We talked about it three weeks ago on the show. Facebook Libra is Facebook's announcement that they're entering the cryptocurrency market. Just to clarify, Libra is an association of 28 different companies and organizations that are partnering with Facebook in creating a cryptocurrency akin to digital dollars versus Bitcoin being seen as digital gold. The U.S. Senate requested that Facebook go to hearings this week. And some of the highlights is that Libra is actually headquartered in Switzerland. The U.S. government was concerned about that. And Facebook's response was that they did that because this is a consortium, a foundation, and that it then gives access to the entire world leveraging a platform. Facebook then clarified that their own Calibra crypto wallet would be used for U.S. dollar transactions through WhatsApp. And 
their messaging platform. One thing to think about, though, is that the government has requested that they halt all development and rolling out of this cryptocurrency since it had been slated for 2020, which is just around the corner. I'll continue to keep you updated because this is really the sign that if Facebook's cryptocurrency and the Libra Association are successful, it really is a threat to what we know is the banking industry today. And that's the Tech News of the Week. This week on Silicon Valley Insider, we have a very special guest, someone you've heard every week for almost two years, and that's Keith Koo. Keith, why Silicon Valley Insider? That's a great question, Tess. Uh, Why Silicon Valley Insider? Well, just to go back to two years ago when my business partner and I were asked to actually start a show, we have a consulting firm called Guardian Insight Group. I mention it once in a while. Guardian Insight Group helps large enterprises uh, do risk management on how they interact with their suppliers and their partners. And this is done through contract management. This is done through risk analysis. It goes way beyond procurement. And so we thought of doing a show based on Guardian Insight Group. And we did that for the first few months. The idea was there are things that we can't discuss with our clients or about our clients because it's very sensitive in nature, getting them out of trouble with a software compliance issue, helping them figure out their data privacy and security problems before a regulator or auditor gets to them. So we just thought it'd be fun to do a show on things that we can't actually discuss. (laughs) Yeah. And that's been a theme for the full two years as people have listened. We have a risk management theme to the entire show. But then what happened is we noticed that there was a pickup on the topics we were speaking internationally. And it started off with 20 countries, then 50 countries. And today, uh, last time I checked, we have 104 countries that now listen to Silicon Valley Insider. So we thought that the Silicon Valley Insider brand was much more global, but it still hits the topics we wanted to, to talk about. Yes, but you started off and it was going to be for your business, Guardian Insight Group. And then it evolved into other stories. It, it evolved into um, different stories. But I remember, because I was working with you at the same time, I remember that you started off Silicon Valley Insider. It was you and your partner, Jonathan. And then about three to four months into it, uh, Jonathan decided to part ways with you on Silicon Valley Insider. Right. So Jonathan and I are still very close. Jonathan had some personal things he needed to take care of. So the, the show he didn't have time for. But it was fine because we decided that um, as we moved on, the show was still very important. The show was an indication that there's still many stories to be told. And our main goal is to help companies manage the risk of doing business. Right. But Keith, come on. I mean, you were you were a businessman. You were involved with a number of different boards. You were involved with, uh, I think it was the Juvenile Diabetes Board or the American Diabetes Foundation. You had a number of things that you were doing. You decide to do a radio show and a podcast with your partner. You've never been on the air before. I mean, you've never done this. Then your partner leaves and you decide to continue to stay on the air and change the direction of Silicon Valley Insider because of the different stories that you were hearing at different events that you were going to. So Tess, thanks for the reminder. So while the original intent was to be able to get stories out about what we do for people because we couldn't actually be public about that it's due to the sensitive nature, 
we realized in the first few months of doing our show and having the pickup between the other countries and listeners that we had many other stories to tell on how to help others improve their businesses and improve the way that they approach business relationships. Well, we also found when we were looking at guests that there were people that you had worked with um, in the past that were now writing books, that were now getting into a whole startup on their own, even though they had had a long and very successful career in a large corporate corporate. Uh, giant in Silicon Valley, they were going out and starting out on their own. And those were a lot of the stories that you decided we decided to cover on Silicon Valley Insider. Right. And that's really what it was all about, is that there are so many stories in and outside of Silicon Valley, ones that you wouldn't ordinarily come across. Mm -hmm. And that was the importance of being able to continue on with this show. So Tess Phelan, my executive producer in the studio with me, uh, thank you so much for taking on the mantle of interviewing me today. So if you ever want to find me on the internet, you can find me on Facebook, KeithKoo.sv, on Twitter, SVI underscore Keith, or on LinkedIn, KeithKoo. And when we come back in the next segment, we are going to talk further with Keith about some of the more interesting guests we have had on and the success stories that we've had with businesses. So we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. We're back on Silicon Valley Insider, and our guest today is Keith Koo. We're actually getting behind and finding out more about Keith's motivation for starting Silicon Valley Insider with his partner. His partner leaves, and so it started as kind of a business development program, and it turned into um, discovering businesses that might need a voice that we could provide on Silicon Valley Insider. So, Keith, we're back. Thanks, Tess. Thanks for the introduction. Sure. So let's let's delve into that. We have had a number of guests on and are not necessarily in the spotlight in the news, but they have a great product. They have a great service. Uh, they are very well established in their companies. And then they decided to write a book such as Jedediah Ua. And it, it's it's what what did you see when you changed it from? a business development format into a voice for people that have a great product or service and need to be heard? That's a great question, Tess. And I think to start off, we need to go back. So back to my story. My story is that I spent over 20 years in corporate America, Wells Fargo, Cisco, um, HP, Intuit, Bank of Tokyo. And in that, because I worked with partnerships and supply chain, right. you, you meet a lot of people. So when you bring up somebody like Jedediah Yue, who is a Silicon Valley icon in his own right, uh, at a very young age, he was a presidential scholar with Bill Clinton, and he starts his company in his 20s, and he sells it, um, a company was called Avamar, he sells it for about $170 million to another tech giant, EMC. So this is like early, mid-2000s. He then goes off and starts a second company, another unicorn called Delphix in the Valley. 
but he wants to write a book called Disrupt or Die, What Silicon Valley Can Teach Others. Yeah. And the timing of that was we had just switched brands to Silicon Valley Insider. Mm-hmm. Um, he sought us out to do the to do uh, interview with him and had 100,000 downloads in the first week. And I remember. We, yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. So 100,000 downloads um, as an ebook on Amazon. And we realized that these are the kinds of stories that a lot of people don't have vehicles for. And even though Jed is a very successful entrepreneur, Jed is his first crack as an author. I, I remember. And then there was uh, Hugh Malazzi. Well, Hugh Malazzi, we worked together at Intuit. He's the head of innovation. And he, when he left Intuit, he did two things. One is he started his own startup. And two, he also decided to become an author. And he had partnered with Eric Reese of the Lean Startup Method, who's also a very well-known icon in the Valley. Hugh had a message of taking all of his learnings at his close to two decades at Intuit and things that we taught internally and actually how to get that message out to others. And it was really this passion. And I think that was key is that we could become a platform for people trying established players, established executives who all had their dreams. own passion yeah. and their own dreams. Yeah. Uh, and I remember uh, that the, the Hugh Malazzi story called The Entrepreneur was about how the best talent uh, rather than going out and seeking and acquiring talent from other companies, that sometimes the best talent is within your own four walls. And that I thought fascinating. And that, and then he developed the book. I think you were talking to me about when he was on the air that it developed from something that he had developed while he was at Intuit. And then he wrote a book about it so that other companies could incorporate some of those same principles into their business. So my takeaway with Hugh is this, because I came out of a large M&A background, is that oftentimes, and we talked about this with Jed Yua on his book, companies are acquiring new technologies and talent. And sometimes they don't realize that that talent already exists internally. That's, right. That's where Hugh got the name entrepreneur. And what happens often is that a very acquisitive company are buying things left and right. And whether they can integrate them well or not, which is my specialty, is often a challenge. Hugh's hypothesis was sometimes the talent is right under your nose. That's right. And though one of the takeaways I had at working with Intuit was that using these methods, and again, controversy between what Jed thinks is a good method or what Eric Reese, the Lean Startup founder, thinks is good, is that fast iteration is possible. So instead of investing and wasting a lot of time and resources, you can learn fast and fail fast and move on to the next idea. That's what Hugh's specialty was about. So his book was bundling all that and then teaching other companies that there is an alternative to acquisitions, but you really have to train your team to do that. Right. And that was very inspiring. Uh, We also uh, were able to uh, put a spotlight on some products that had great ideas, but again, didn't have much of a voice. I was thinking of Payson And I was thinking of when they came in, that company was the first company that we, I had ever heard of that was actually using blockchain consistently in a global business. Yeah. So Payson Johnston of Crowds, which is a company that came out of a few incubators when we met, his was coming out at a time where everyone thought blockchain was cryptocurrency. Right. And although with Silicon Valley Insider, we touched on the topic of blockchain as a technology, and actually also talked about cryptocurrency as an orthogonal 
way of viewing blockchain technology. Payson was the first company we had on the air that was using blockchain purely as a technology platform to enable supply chain. And we saw through his iterations that they could then partner with large banks who were supporting them and now became a factoring platform using the same technology. And it was a great success story because Payson and his co-founder Clay, uh, they actually received their startup funding. Right. And didn't you travel with them to London and uh, help make a presentation to a banking consortium? Yeah, I was their guest at the Techstars final where they did really well in 2018. So it was, it was a really great show. And that's where made a lot of great connections, a lot of investors. And uh, I was really impressed with how they did. Good. Yeah. So that's that's part of the things that when we when we change the format from new business acquisition to helping other people, those are nice success stories that we've had. And then what about bots? What about Jotham? <laughs> you know, one thing I like to do with the show is the same thing I've done in business is that I'm not an engineer by trade, but I've dealt with technology for close to 25 years. And when you get behind the coding and the physics, you often lose people's attention because they really can't digest all that information. Being able, being able to explain how technology works is much more efficient than explain the actual physics and packets behind it. So Joth, Jotham Tai, we met him because he had just had his startup called Gapify, and Jotham was very successful as an accountant and as an accounting consultant. That's right. And to get ahead of the curve, because he had a very cons- uh, successful consulting business, he decided to create software to take menial accounting tasks and create bots. And where that sounds really scary, because jobs are automatically thought of as at stake, and we can talk about that later in the show, Jotham was saying, hey, I've created a bot technology to automate the most mundane tasks you can have, and how you stay current is to become the person who trains the bots. Right, and I think he called it mind-numbing work. And we all know that those repetitive tasks. So he wasn't developing a bot that was going to take away uh, any tasks that you were using your brain. (laughs) He was taking away the tasks that were extremely repetitive. Tess, thanks for taking us down memory lane in the first couple of years of the show. Right. So don't go away. Coming up on our next segment on CyberTip, I'm going to be talking more about FaceApp, which has gone viral. And Tess and I will be talking about what's next for Silicon Valley Insider. If you have any questions or comments about what we've talked about today on the show, email us at info at svi.biz, and we'll be right back. We'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo. Today, we're talking about Silicon Valley Insider's history um, how I started the show. I have Tess Phelan, my executive producer in studio with me. Hi, Hello. <laughs> so as promised earlier in the show, for today's cyber tip, I'm going to be talking about the viral app FaceApp, which now has over 150 million users. And I'm going to be talking about facial recognition in general. So facial recognition is software that can scan your face and detect who you are. It's used all over the place. It's been used, I know, in London since the early 2000s. 
And in fact, casinos have been using it even earlier because when you go into a casino in Vegas, all the casinos are linked up. They want to know if you're a card counter. And so they've been able to detect you for a long time. And we always joke that when money's involved, new ideas come up. So what is FaceApp? FaceApp is an application that's been around for two years. It's an app that can transform how you look. And what people recently picked up on is that it can help you figure out what you're going to look like 20 years from now. Ugh. <laughs> that is not something I would be interested in. But of course, it must be for millennials, right? I'm not going to set a generational thing. But as an Xer, one of my Xer friends said, I don't need an app. I'm living it. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. But here's the key. I think people have lost sight. And there's a joke that I always say, whenever we talk about cloud, cloud is a computer you don't own. So what this means is people take selfies of themselves, upload it to the service. They don't realize that behind FaceApp, and again, it could be completely innocent, but it goes to a company that's registered in Russia. The data is not stored on your phone. The data is stored in their servers. So whether it's in the U.S. or in Russia or somewhere else, and the privacy policy doesn't say what they do with that information or whether uh, they're entitled to giving it back to you or whether you're entitled to asking it to be deleted. So overall, the message here is be careful what you're using it for. I mean, in the last week on Facebook, I've seen at least 15 people post what they're going to look like. It- <laughs> I just think it is – I well, I'm, I'm glad they're doing well, and I'm glad people are entertaining themselves, but that's not something I'm interested in. And, and to hit this whole point home about the importance of facial recognition, at the same time, it's been announced that FBI and ICE have been accessing DMV records by each state for years, finding criminals. Now mm. – Another point to this is that technology often comes out before the laws or regulation. I think people misunderstand that usually laws and regulations come before technology. And so there have been individual states trying to limit law enforcement's use of data. We recently had here San Francisco and Oakland passed measures where they won't allow law enforcement to use their facial recognition software. That's correct. But the cat's out of the bag. And so that's really the message. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. In last segment, we talked about a number of people that we put a spotlight on their ideas, their concepts, their books. And in this segment, we wanted to talk about what uh, what is the next step? What is Silicon Valley Insider getting involved with now? Uh, a number of things that we've started to do is events. One of the things that has occurred over the last two years is Silicon Valley Insider getting invited to lots of events, lots of technology events, lots of launches, lots of venture capital. And that's been great. It's been good to hear companies' stories. It's been good to hear what the investor community wants and what startups want as well. And, And when you talk about events, it can be a number of different platforms. So we can talk about the Thai conference, the largest Indo a technology conference in the world. There's over 5,000 people and 1,000 companies, and there's mainstream companies. One of the things that I liked at the Thai conference that we attended was Jay Chowdhury, the founder and CEO Zscaler, was the biggest technology IPO of 2018. We also went to events where there were product launches. Right. And we had talked about in the last segment where 
tech stars in London had incubated their fintech cohort and Payson Johnson of Crowds was at that event and how their company has now received funding and they're now building their next phase of their product. Last year, we worked quite a bit on Call for Code. Call for Code is a great event. It's a nonprofit, a consortium with founders such as IBM, David Clark Cause, and EA. And this is really interesting where Silicon Valley Insider could help. You had a global hackathon, but the people behind it thought that virtual was the best way. And in fact, I think in today's technology environment, a lot of people think because of social media and other social outlets that virtual can always be a very successful endeavor. What we learned with Call for Code was that it required using IBM's technology stack. And because people, engineers are more familiar with other technology stacks in cloud, that nobody was participating in this event. And so really the value that Silicon Valley Insider brought to the event was in coordinating the first physical North American event, which then launched over 50 pop-up events because we realized how repeatable this process was. Uh, We had NTT Data last year as well, who had a similar event on a reverse startup pitch. And they were wanting a lot of coverage globally. So this was not a case of um, a hackathon. This was a case of, we have a great platform for companies that we can invest in, and the winners get to go to Tokyo. But because of the structure, they wanted to reach companies very rapidly. A little footnote to the Call for Code event, the hackathon, we were able to help IBM and the Call for Code to come up with the location, to come up with marketing, to come up with shows, and um, again, marketing on the show. So we were able to put this whole thing together in a two-week span of time. And so that was helping another company as well. What I really loved about the Call for Code event is that we had it hosted at 42 Silicon Valley, which we'll talk more about in the Pivot. Great, free tuition-free coding school. But one of the local teams was the first runner-up for the entire event. I remember. And that even with being cross-border between the U.S. and Paris, France, that they're still developing their idea. And that's where we realized the power of Silicon Valley Insider, not as a radio show and a podcast, but as a platform. See, one of the things that happened when we were coordinating the Call for Code event, we were using the 42 Silicon Valley facility. And one of the things that we had not known is that because of the way that they were structured, a lot of technology companies would not hire 42 graduates because it wasn't an accredited university. And even up till then, technology companies required a college degree such as IBM. So we did the event. A lot of IBM executives were at the event. They saw what 42 was doing in Silicon Valley and in Paris, and they understood the education that they're getting out of it was equal to any software developer that had gone through a four-year university. And in October, IBM, along with Microsoft and about 10 other companies, all dropped the requirement for engineers to have a college degree. And that was just something we felt so uh, pleased with. Just like never planning on being a radio show host and a podcaster, I had never planned on being an event producer as well. But one thing that Silicon Valley Insider did was try to make connections. Mm -hmm. And so we have hosted two Tulip conferences 
And what that what's that about is emerging technologies. Right. And sometimes you got to create your own market. Uh, because blockchain was relatively new, and people only thought of it as cryptocurrency at the time, we decided we needed to do a conference to really explain the power of blockchain as a platform. And so when we did the first Tulip Conference in San Francisco in 2018, we had a lot of interest by enterprises who wanted to also not be seen as a cryptocurrency, but wanted to be seen as people interested in developing that technology out. Right. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, you gathered international guests to come and speak at the first Tulip Conference. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. We had speakers such as Professor Mohammed Yunus, who is the Nobel laureate for microfinance. Platforms like Kiva are all built off of his thesis. Um, we had Dr. Vanila Singh, who's the chief medical officer of the United States. She was talking about how she believed blockchain could solve for the opioid academic. Mm-hmm. We had Dr. John Madison, who is the chief medical information officer of Kaiser, a futurist. We had the founders of the core software for EOS, which was a popular blockchain platform, has a little bit of controversy now because of the way that the uh, Chinese have, have kind of taken it over. But at the time, largest ICO in history, it was $4 billion. And really what they're saying is don't worry about the ICO. It's really about all the use cases and the depth that can come from it. Um, we had a number of other players. One of the things, because I brought up EOS, is that the community launched at our event. I remember it was uh – a. Well, it was, it was a big, compelling event. It was almost like a revolution that was occurring, and they were all forced to be there. They were all staying in, I believe it was an Airbnb. It, it, yeah, there was an Airbnb, and, and 17 of them were all staying in a bunkhouse. So think about right. think about the MTV series The Real World and having seven of them live together. But that was really interesting because the whole entire week, they were arguing about how they wanted to launch this mainnet, this blockchain platform, under what conditions. And it was really democratic. I mean, we, we compare it to the Electoral College of the United States. And so we just had the second conference this year, and we made it a lot less about blockchain. It was all about technology on the horizon. So we can talk about technology for good, which was a lot of payment processors mm-hmm. and remittance companies. So people who were trying to figure out how to get payments to loved ones in Venezuela, in Indonesia, in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, we could talk about where people thought that technology would be emerging in agriculture, in drones. And then also we talk about the woke corporation, W-O-K-E, this buzzword in millennial terms, which was how are companies going to adopt technology in the future for good? Well, that, that became a big buzz phrase, technology for good. And it was something that you liked and incorporated a lot into the programming. The the Silicon Valley Insider branding was technology for good. So in the next segment, what we're going to be talking about is it's the pivot, and the pivot implies drastic change. And there is on the horizon drastic changes of the way that you can get an education, get a job, you can become an apprentice, you can learn the job, you can get paid while you're learning the job, and then you can get the job. That's what we're talking about in The Pivot, the change on the horizon for employment. If you have questions or comments about how to be a guest on Silicon Valley Insider, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call one 888 
888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Today in my studio, I have my executive producer, Tess Phelan, and we're now entering the pivot. Hey, Tess. Hey, Keith. The biggest thing that we saw, especially this year, was a major pivot in the way uh, careers were occurring and people were changing. And being 35 and having had been in a job for 10 or 15 years did not mean that you could not change your career and get into uh, the digital world. We had several guests on. I'm thinking of Jenny Dearborn with SAP, and she talked about an apprenticeship program that there was a conference of major Silicon Valley in Silicon Valley companies that got together and talked about uh, apprenticeship programs. And this was because there were, I think they evaluated there were 45,000 jobs, computer-oriented jobs in Silicon, well, in San Jose, the Bay Area, and only 27,000 graduates for the computer science degree. You know, this is a huge passion of mine, which is the point you bring up when we had Jenny Dearborn on the show, that currently there is not enough candidates for technology jobs in Silicon Valley and the entire United States, as a matter of fact. There just isn't enough people to fill those jobs. Right. But if you look down the horizon, as soon as 2023 and beyond, it's also it's almost um, a dichotomy that 50% of all jobs behind a computer screen can be automated. Now, it doesn't mean it will be automated. It just means the technology exists that it can be automated. And so in the last segment, we had talked about how technology for good was a big part of Silicon Valley Insider. Moving that one step further, it's helping people navigate their own pivot. That's right. And that was some of the most fascinating information we received from Jenny. And the apprenticeship program that a number of companies have in Silicon Valley is a program that will actually pay you to learn the job and then hire you. So it's not as if you're doing training and you have to fund it yourself. And so Jenny talked about that. And there are a number of companies in the Silicon Valley that are getting into apprenticeships. But another idea that came up, and the campus just opened up a couple of years ago, uh, is School 42. So 42 Silicon Valley, School 42 in Paris, is a completely tuition-free, and if they have a bed open, dorm-free coding school for any age, or really any adult over the age of 18. And we've had a number of shows with them, it's people often think, especially in the U.S., that free is low quality. And I can tell you that these students are top notch. One thing that was very interesting is that it takes three to five years to be quote-unquote proficient in this program. And they often get poached after one, one and a half years from companies like Microsoft, Google, Facebook. And Facebook is actually right next door to them here in the Valley. And most recently, because we talked a lot on previous shows about the qualifications to get in, it is high qualification. They make you go through testing 
And then if you pass one round, they can actually invite you on site to go through a month-long testing. So once you get in, it's a lifelong membership. And in the most recent two classes, I know, back to the point you made earlier in this segment, that the majority of applicants for the program are mid-career people, people from Adobe, people from Cisco. So you know that the quality is good. And let me attest, because I'm a pretty much a stickler for evaluating technical expertise. It, it I don't think it's a program I could get into. It is definitely um, the top in software education. Well, tell about your experience with your daughter taking a test that they administered. And it wasn't a test for an adult. It was a test set up for children. And didn't your daughter take that test? Well, yes. I invited 42 to be part of a career fair that my daughter was at. And um, she was reluctant, but she took their gamification test. And again, this isn't math and this isn't overt engineering. There's just a lot of math and engineering behind it. So going through these online tests can evaluate your aptitude for software development. My daughter actually will be going through their completely free high school program starting in the fall. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So today's show of Silicon Valley Insider was about Keith Koo. And the history of Silicon Valley Insider, how it started as a business development idea, and it turned into technology for good. And the changes that we have made, the changes that we have seen in the marketplace, and that's what we're hoping to do and bring to you every week. A platform of new ideas, new concepts, or new ways that you can actively get involved and change your lives. And that's really where we're headed, continuing to follow the technology for good and being very intentional with Silicon Valley Insider as a platform. There'll be more shows. You'll be seeing us at more events, hosting even our own events, such as topics about real estate technology and how you can accelerate if you're a realtor in advancement of your career. We will be talking more about the automation coming and how you can stay ahead of the curve. On next week's show, we're going to have Tribe the Singaporean government-backed blockchain accelerator talking about things like fintech and ag tech. And we're going to continue to have more events like that. So if you have any questions or comments or ideas, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll see you next week. Bye. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN.